A few years ago, around this time of graduations, there's a picture that went viral in one of the graduations. It was uh, of a cadet that had graduated from West Point Academy, uh, this prestigious military academy, with Second Lieutenant Alex Idrachi. And uh, the picture went viral because of the expression on his face. He, he had tears that uh, were coming down his face at the moment of the graduation. And, uh, and Alex was born in Haiti in poverty and with a lot of challenges. And, and he had undergone uh, multiple natural disasters. And, and he had observed that U.S. servicemen had gone to his country on humanitarian missions. And he had admired that. He had respected that. And, and he had admired the men and women who carried out those missions. So when his father decided to migrate to the U.S. and his family came, he was a young man, he went to school and he worked hard at learning the language that he didn't know, English, and at uh, making good grades so that one day he could apply to go to West Point and become a pilot in the U.S. Armed Forces. And, and he worked hard to earn that place and he finally got there and he graduated and this is a moment filled with emotion for him. And when he was asked about that moment, he said, I am from Haiti and never did I imagine that such an honor would be bestowed on me one day. It's very moving to watch a young man who values the opportunities that he has been giving. It's inspiring to see someone uh, that doesn't take for granted uh, this freedom and this chance at, at doing something with what is in front of him. That in fact he sees the opportunity and, and he's abandoned himself to the task. It is convicting for me because I wonder if I value the opportunities and the privileges and the responsibilities that are mine. I wonder if you and I take some things for granted or if we seize those things that we have received and make the best of it. On one occasion, Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This idea that those that have been given more, more is expected of them. It's true of everything. It's true of freedom. If we've been given more freedom, more is expected of us. It is true of opportunities. If we have more opportunities, we're expected to do something with them. It is true of material things. It is true of talents and skills. It is true of education. And most of all, it is true of salvation. The writer of Hebrews wanted to remind his audience of this very thing, the value of salvation, that Christ came to offer us a salvation that is so precious, so rich, so much better than anything else that they should value it, they should seize it, they should live with abandonment for it. How much do we value Christ? How much do we value the gospel? I'm, I'm thrilled that we sing about him the right lyrics, but 
do we really value him and the salvation that he came to bring? Last Sunday, we began a series uh, on the book of Hebrews. We're going to go chapter by chapter this summer over the book of Hebrews. And we've entitled the series, Jesus is Better, because it is one of the dominant themes of the letter. And the writer goes right into it. This power-packed letter begins right to the point. He says, Jesus is better because he is the one who reveals God, because he's the one that rules over creation, because he's the one that redeems humanity. And then after he states that, then he goes on to say that Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than the angels. And that's the title of today's sermon. We, we left off uh, last Sunday. We, we read just the first four verses of chapter one in Hebrews. I'll read again verse four, which we, we read last Sunday, but just because that's where we left off, we, we'll read it. It says, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And I think for most of us here, that would rather seem obvious. I don't think there's anyone here that would argue that angels are better than Jesus. Now, if that's what you think, I'd love to hear what you have to say. But uh, for us, it's really not that big of a deal when we hear that, perhaps. But for some reason, the author felt it was important to establish that for his original audience. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit has preserved this for us. So there must be a word for us today. I hope you believe that. So let's unpack it. The first thing that I see in this passage is that angels are ministers of God. AP Press uh, did a poll some years ago to ask around how many people believed in angels. And they found out that 77% of adults in the U.S. believe that angels exist. Uh, 88% of Christians do. Um... I don't know what the other 12% believe, but anyway, 88% do. And interestingly, the majority of non-Christians believe that angels exist. And so uh, most of us here believe that. I don't have to convince you of that. At least 88% of you believe that. But uh, what do we believe about them? What is our concept of angels? I remember when I was in college, which was not too long ago, um, Amy Grant had a song called Angels Watching Over Me, which shows you that it was long ago. Uh, and <laughs> thank you, Reuben, for laughing. Uh, the, lyrics, the lyrics went something like this. God only knows the time my life was threatened just today. A reckless car ran out of gas before it ran my way. Near misses all around me, accidents unknown. Though I never see with human eyes the hands that lead me home. But I know they're all around me all day and through the night. When the enemy is closing in, I know sometimes they fight to keep me from falling. And I'll never turn away. If you're asking what's protecting me, then you're going to hear me say, God, his angels watching over me every move I make, angels watching over me, angels watching over me every step I take, angels watching over me. And it was kind of a catchy tune, and so it kind of stuck to you, and you thought about these angels that are watching over you, and, uh, and, and that's a good thing. But, but what is our concept of angels uh, some have this image that angels are these tall, slim, feminine-looking creatures with wings, large wings, some wings more beautiful than others. We have those kind of figurines at our home because my wife likes to collect them. Some believe that angels are these chubby, childlike beings that sort of hang around babies' rooms and decorate them sometimes. 
Others believe that their angels are these strong, male-like, you know, warrior-looking uh, creatures that are ready to fight. They're the host of heaven. There are others that, that believe that angels sometimes take human form, uh, that angels look like a human and we don't even know it. Um, the, uh, I think in the 80s or somewhere around there, 90s maybe, there were TV shows that made this idea popular, Highway to Heaven and Touched by an Angel. They built on this idea. And it's not necessarily unbiblical. In the same letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews 13, chapter 2, it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing some people, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So the Bible supports this idea that, that sometimes angels appear to be human, and we don't even realize that they're really angels. Uh, and so he says, Be nice to people, because he might be an angel especially strangers. Uh, and people have all kinds of stories of angelic uh, experiences. I, I talk to people all the time and say, Pastor, this happened and, and I can't explain it. And, and, it, and it's really an interesting thing. I, I had somebody share with me after the first service today, people sometimes that are, that are sitting with people who are on their deathbed uh, often tell me that uh, they've, they've experienced something like that. One of our members, uh, goes to the state of Chiapas in Mexico, southern Mexico, where, uh, the, you know, we're helping believers, discipling them and start churches. And persecution is difficult in that state. People uh, persecute uh, believers. And, and there's this particular village where, where someone decided to follow Jesus. He got baptized and, and the leaders of the village told him that he better back down, that uh, that, that this, this new message, this new gospel, he, he needed to reject it and he needed to stick to the religious traditions of his town and he wouldn't do it. And, and so they hung him from a tree. And the people from, from town watched this from a distance. And then they saw a man that they had never seen before come and let the man down from the tree. And the man that had been hanging there just walked away. And the man that helped him left and they never saw him again. They'd never seen him, they never saw him again. And they said, do you think that was an angel? And I'm like, I don't know, but it's pretty cool. The beliefs that we have and the experiences that we have about angels are many. Some have biblical basis, others are based on some kind of religious tradition or some superstition. I often, you know, kind of, uh, you know, get a little uncomfortable when people at funerals say, Oh, my mom got her wings or my brother got his wings. Like, like somehow people who die become angels. That's not biblical. Angels are one kind of creature. Humans are another kind of creature. We don't get our wings and we get to see Jesus. That's different. Now, I also don't believe that your guardian angel is the one who helps you find a parking spot at the mall. You know, I, I hear people say that. Oh, my guardian angel helped me find a spot close to Dillard's. That wasn't your guardian angel, you know? I mean, maybe it was, I don't know. But what does the Bible really say about angels? The word literally means messengers. Angels are God's instruments to deliver a message. So throughout redemptive history, God sends angels to deliver a particular message. In our text today, the author establishes that Jesus is better than angels. And there are several things that he assumes are true about angelic beings. He strings together several Old Testament scriptures 
The, the, his audience believed in the Old Testament. So he strings together these Old Testament scriptures. These are the things that we already believe about angels to make his point. So let's read that in verse 5 of Hebrews 1. It says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? That's one quote from the Old Testament. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. That's another quote. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels worship him. That's another quote. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flame of fire. And you can see all these quotes. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that they will be changed, but you remain the same. And your years, your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. When we, when we read this passage, we see that it's by no means an exhaustive teaching on angels. This is not a thorough doctrine of angels. And neither is the author introducing something new, some kind of new belief about angels. These are the things he assumes they already believe. But he's using this to, to prove a point. But in the meantime, we can draw from it, from these Old Testament quotes, that the angels were created by God to serve God. They were created by God to worship him. They worship God. That they are spirits to whom God gives physical form. Sometimes it may be human form or it may be some kind of physical force like fire or wind. That angels are ministering spirits. Ministering means serving, that they are there to serve God. But then he also says there are ministering spirits for those who will inherit salvation. That means they are there, God put them there to serve the redeemed. That's you and me. God made angels to serve us. Now angels have an important role in God's redemptive plan. God used them as messengers in the Old Testament with Jacob and with other people. In the New Testament, we see angels speaking to Zechariah before John the Baptist is born. They speak to Mary to let her know she's going to conceive the Messiah. They appear to Joseph in a dream to announce the same thing. They, they show up by, by droves at, at the mount where the shepherds are taking care of the sheep to announce that the Savior has been born Angels are ministers of God, and their message mattered. It mattered. The point here is not to say that angels are not important or that we shouldn't believe in angels, but to say that Jesus is superior to them. Believers in any age should capture the significance of the preeminence of Christ. Secondly, we see here that Jesus is a Messiah of God. The Jews in the early church, the Jewish believers in the early church, had a, a, held angels in high esteem. They saw them as God's servants. The Jews worship only one God. He was the Holy One of Israel. 
They, they weren't trying to worship angels. That's not the problem here. But they admired the angels because they were God's instruments. And therefore, the authority of the scriptures for them, the Torah, the law and the prophets, they held it in high esteem because it had been delivered to them by God's messengers, by, by angels. Said, if angels delivered it, then it must be important. God sent it to us in a special way. We listen to those who we respect, don't we? You know, uh, my boys and I uh, love barbecue. We cook barbecue. Uh, I'm not going to brag, but we're pretty good at it. Uh, and we, we are critics of barbecue. So uh, they have an Instagram channel where they review rest or go to a place and they'll taste different things and they'll review and grade them. And, and then we follow other people who review and recommend and uh, and, and people listen to other people about that. And so when someone says, when someone knows what they're talking about, it says, hey, you should try such and such place in Austin or you should try such and such place in Dallas. Whenever we're there, we go there. We, we figure out how to get there because if someone that knows their barbecue tells you they should, you should try those ribs, you should try them. That's how I understand it. And that's how the Jews thought if God sent a message through the angels, you should pay attention. It's important. They know what they're talking about. They're coming straight from God. They were reliable ministers of God. But Jesus is better. In the string of Old Testament quotes, we see that Jesus has a unique role in redemptive history. He's a divine son of God. Angels worship God, and because Jesus is God, angels worship Jesus. While angels are created beings who change according to God's will, Jesus is the creator and he never changes. He's eternal. Angels serve God, but Jesus sits on the throne with God as a son of God. Angels minister to those who will inherit salvation, but Jesus is the one who accomplished our salvation. He's the Messiah, the anointed one the chosen one, the one that was in the beginning, that was the angel of creation, the one that, that came in human history in the form of a baby, born in a manger, lived a sinless life, went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, was buried, but on the third day rose again, conquering sin and death forever. And he ascended back to his throne, back to his place, but this time having demonstrated to creation, his power, his love, his redemption. And as he sits on the throne, he is king. He's the one that the law and the prophets announced. And if the message of angels pointing to Jesus was important, the message of Jesus is even more important. If what angels delivered matter, what Jesus delivered matters more. Jesus is the Messiah of God. His message matters more. And if the Jewish of the first century paid attention to the message of the angels, they better pay attention to the message of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had an angel talk to you, but if you had had an angel show up and give you a message, I think you would pay attention. Now, Jesus has spoken to you, and his message is more important than what any angel could deliver. It is likely that the early Christians were tempted to rely more on the law and the prophets than the gospel. 
That was their culture. That was their, their tradition. That's how they grew up. That's all they had known from childhood was Judaism, the law and the prophets. It was so familiar to them. And this gospel was a new message. And the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. You know that, right? You know that the early church didn't have the New Testament. So when they talk about the scriptures, they're always referring to the Old Testament. No church had the gospels and the letters of Paul all together printed like we do. And so it was easy to think, well, here are the written scriptures. Here's a message. Here's letters that are being sent to, to the churches and they're important and, 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 and all that. But man, the scriptures, the Old Testament, that really seems reliable. We really need to go back to that and, and stick to that. So either because of faltering faith or because of pressure by persecution, they found the law and the prophets more reliable. Perhaps the doubts crept up about this gospel of grace. You know, God had always demanded adherence to the law and, and sacrifices and ceremonial uh, cleaning, cleansing. And now is faith and faith alone? Now it's by grace, now we don't have to do sacrifices? It's always easier to go back to the old ways of believing, isn't it? It's always easier to go back to what we've always known that, than to take on this new faith. The Jewish Christians to whom this letter is written were in danger of falling back into reliance on the law instead of grace. They were in danger of legalism. It's sort of a salvation by works that where you have to do obedience to be in right standing with God. And if they revered the law of Moses because it had been delivered to them by angels, God's word reminds them that the gospel was delivered by Jesus, who is better. In this case, older is not better. The newest revelation is. You know, sometimes people say, how could someone or an institution be wrong for centuries? How, how can a belief system be wrong for millennia? Well, it could be. The newest and highest revelation ever is that of Jesus. And he begs a question for us. What are the things that we revert back to? What are the things that we are in danger of replacing with the gospel? What are the voices and messages that we venerate as equal or above the voice of Jesus? Which leads me to my third and final point, the gospel is a message of God. God gave his people the law and the prophets. He gave them the scriptures. They revered them. They learned them. It was their foundation. Now this new era is introduced. A new revelation has been given. And this good news is from God. The same God who gave them the law and the prophets is the God who now gives them the gospel. And they must pay attention. And we must too. We must be careful to value and to treasure the salvation by grace. We cannot take it for granted. That's what the admonition of chapter 2 tells us. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is, this is why it matters. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, 
How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I, I, I see an underlying message here that the author is saying, you know, maybe you think that the Old Testament's more reliable because you have written scriptures, and this new message that you have, you may not have written scriptures, but the Holy Spirit has given signs and wonders and miracles and gifts, and we have been eyewitnesses of it. God has testified that this gospel is true. And if the Old Testament is a reliable and authoritative word of God, whatever God said in it, he meant. So when God's people paid attention, when they obeyed, they got to experience God's blessings. And when God's people disobeyed the law and the prophets, there was consequences, there was judgment. You cannot disobey God without receiving consequences. And yet the Old Testament points towards Jesus. The fulfillment of the Old Testament is Christ. And if there are consequences for neglecting the Old Testament, there are greater consequences for neglecting the gospel of Jesus. Listen, if you fail at keeping the law, you can turn to Jesus by grace. But if you reject the grace of Jesus, you are without hope. If you reject the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, you're lost and without hope because you cannot save yourself. So the exhortation is to pay the most careful attention to the gospel so that we do not drift away. Know the gospel. Love the gospel, value the gospel, live wholeheartedly for the gospel. It is the message of God. It merits our full devotion so that we do not drift away. What was the danger of drifting away for the original audience? Well, they were drifting away into the law instead of grace. And for us, there is also a danger of drifting away. Maybe for most of us here, it's not the law. Maybe most of you are not being tempted to keep kosher or to keep the Sabbath or to do some kind of ceremonial thing that the Jews did. But we can drift away into other things. We can drift away into legalism. Legalism is when we impose rules on other people or on ourselves about what makes a good Christian. We make a list. Good Christians dress like this and they eat this and they don't eat that and they drink this and they don't drink that and they go to these places but don't go to these places. And so we use that list of rules, man-made rules, not things that are in the scriptures, things that we came up with to judge others and sometimes to judge ourselves. Now, there is nothing wrong with a personal conviction. If the Holy Spirit has given you a conviction not to do something, then don't do it. If the Holy Spirit has given you a conviction that it's okay to do something, then it's okay to do it. The problem is not your conviction. The problem is when your conviction becomes a rule that you impose on someone else. And you think that your rule is more important than the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You're replacing your rule. You're replacing grace by the Spirit in the life of a person with your rule. That's legalism. We can drift away into that. Or we can drift away into traditionalism. Traditions are, are when we value uh, tradition just as much as the Scriptures 
religious traditions, maybe your, your religious background or things that you think church should be or worship styles or, or ministries or who should be in ministry or who shouldn't be. And there are good things that, that traditions could be good. I'm not saying traditions are bad. I'm just saying that sometimes we hold traditions at the same level as we do the scriptures. Sometimes we think that our traditions are biblical and they may not be because we don't know the scriptures well enough. We just assume and we drift away. We drift away also into what I call holy inquisitions. Uh, there, there are some of those kinds of things going on in, in Christian circles today and specifically in our denomination. I call them orthodoxy witch hunts. Uh, there, there are people who, who have narrowly decided what orthodoxy is and, and they are writing everybody else off that doesn't think exactly like they do, that doesn't use the vocabulary that they do. Now, I believe in orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means right doctrine. I believe we should have good doctrine. Don't get me wrong. The problem is that when a, a, a small group of people decide what that is and then they start writing everybody off, and then once they got rid of everybody and they called them heretics or liberals or whatever, then they began to reject each other. I, I, I'm seeing that with my own eyes. It's, it's drifting away because some of those things are not essential to the gospel. Some of the things that Christians are arguing about on Twitter today are not essential to the gospel. They're not essential to the mission of God. There is a place for us to disagree in unity. There is a big tent under the grace of Jesus Christ for us to believe the right things about him, the right things about salvation, the right things about the Bible, and then disagree in secondary and tertiary things. Let us not drift away. We can also drift away into political ideology. Our faith should make an impact in the public square. We, we are citizens of two kingdoms. I'm a citizen of the United States of America and I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And both matter. And both interact with each other. My citizenship here affects my citizenship in heaven. And my citizenship in heaven should dictate how I live as a citizen here in this country. That's important. We should be involved in the political process. We should have convictions. We, we should participate. We should speak out. We should just be careful that we do not replace the gospel with our political ideology. There is no political ideology here on earth that can replace the gospel. It doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left. I'm not trying to take sides. I'm just telling you, don't think that your political party or your political ideology is a replacement for the gospel. Make sure you understand what the gospel is, what the scripture says, or we can drift away. The Baptist faith and message says this, and I think you should know it. It says the church should not resort to the civil power to carry on its work. The gospel of Christ contemplates spiritual means alone for the pursuit of its ends. I wonder if we believe that. I wonder if we believe that the gospel is powerful enough that it pursues spiritual means alone to pursue its ends. Surely there are other ways in which we can drift away. That's why it's so important to know the gospel, to love the gospel. It is a message of God. It merits our full devotion. So let's take the gospel seriously. Let's not rely on 
lesser things. Let's live with abandonment for Jesus. Listen, our salvation is more than just a ticket to heaven. Our salvation is not just Sunday religion. Our salvation ought not to be a spiritual compartment of our lives. Our salvation is the greatest treasure that God has ever given us, and it merits our full devotion, our abandonment. Let us not neglect it. Let us not be lukewarm. Let us not drift away. Let us pay careful attention. Amen? Amen. Now, before we respond to God's word, I want to share with you a couple of baptisms of two young ladies in our our church uh, that have decided to follow Jesus recently and have followed the Lord in baptism. Watch this video. young ladies that are excited about Jesus. Uh, they're sitting back there in the middle. There's Kaylee and Kayleen and Laura. Laura. <laughs> Laura is an international student from Latvia here at UTRGV. They're both students there and, and they're excited about Jesus and we're excited with them. And let me tell you, I hope that when you first were baptized, you had that same excitement. But I hope that 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years after your baptism, you're still excited about Jesus. He is better than anything else. He is worth of our full devotion. Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's better than everything else. Forgive us when we have neglected our salvation. Forgive us when we've taken for granted such a great blessing. And help us to make a commitment to live with abandonment. There may be someone today here who hasn't made a commitment to make you Lord and Savior. Maybe watching online. May today be the day that they give their life over to you. Maybe someone like Kayleen and Laura wants to follow you in believer's baptism. May today be the day that they take that step to say, I'm going to go full on for Jesus. Maybe there are believers here that have been walking with you 30, 40 years but they've lost their first love. They've lost the fire. And today, bring them back, Lord, to a full devotion, to an abandonment. Let us not drift away. Let us pay careful attention. In Jesus' name, amen.